Well, welcome to another edition of Intentional Conversation. Uh, on Intentional Conversations, we try to um, uh, talk to men's leaders and men's ministry leaders uh, throughout the country, dealing with issues that men deal with every day, helping them to grow spiritually and helping leaders uh, to and pastors to uh, reach their men in today's culture, discussing the issues men face every day. I'm Mike Salen with uh, Cake for Your Men. I appreciate you joining us today on the on the podcast. And I believe today's program is going to be one that's going to be very interesting as we discuss a topic that many churches today have difficult time uh, addressing yet is a serious problem in, in our pews. And that is the area of pornography. Uh, as we work to, through uh, today's program, feel free to uh, submit any questions you may have, and we'll be able to try to answer as many of them as we can and uh, throughout, the, throughout the program. So let me welcome my good friend, Mark uh, Dennison to the program. Welcome, Mark, and thank you for joining me uh, today on the call. Thanks, Mike, it's always great to see you. Good, it's good to have you. Let me share a little bit about uh, Mark and who he is and uh, before we get down into the meat of our discussion today, uh, but uh, so the audience can know a little bit about you. Mark uh, has three degrees in theology and has served 30 years as a senior pastor. Uh, with uh, he has a master's in addiction recovery and in li from living his own recovery since 2013. Uh, Mark understands the addiction and is a certified pastoral sex addiction uh, professional. And Mark and his wife Beth have been married for 37 years, and together they lead There's Still Hope, a leading source for men and women who struggle with addictions to sex and pornography. Mark has authored seven books, uh, with the latest being Jesus and the 12 Steps. The biblical response to addiction uh, is not what you thought. Mark and his wife have one son, and they live in Brandon, Florida. Mark and I met a couple of years ago and have developed a good friendship in ministry. He and I have worked together last March at the Iron Sharpest Iron Conference in Wilmington, North Carolina. Uh, and he was planning on returning to this year's conference, but unfortunately, because of the uh, pandemic, the COVID pandemic, we had to postpone this year's conference, but hopefully he will uh, return with us uh, in the fall when we uh, uh, reschedule that conference. And we, and as soon as we know those dates, we'll let everybody know. Well, Mark, uh, one of the things I do with all of my guests when we begin is is ask them a couple of questions uh, to, so the next guest can get to know you a little bit better. And one of those is, what is your favorite verse? What is your favorite verse that you kind of hang your hat on or maybe your life verse in, in that you uh, look to every day? John 11.4 is a passage that I never really thought about much, uh, until the last few years when I got in recovery where Lazarus had died and Jesus said, this shall not end in death. Didn't mean he wasn't going to die. It just meant it wasn't going to end there. And that's a verse of hope that I like to share with men all over the country, that no matter what has happened in your past, it will not end in death. A lot of things might die in your life. A lot of things will change, but it doesn't end there. There's a resurrection coming. Great, great. Well, tell 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 our audience a little bit about how you got into the ministry you're in now. I know you've pastored a number of churches. Uh, you, you, if, when you when you look at your pedigree of of, uh, of degrees, it looks like you're a professional student. <laughs> and uh, and so, but tell tell our audience a little bit about how you got into the ministry you're in now, and and, and how God is using you in, in that particular area. Yeah, I love to. It's not the normal path someone might expect to take. I was not raised in the church. I came to Christ at the age of 14 through a local bus ministry where my brother and I lived with our parents in Houston. 
felt a call to ministry when I was 15, started working in churches at 19, and uh, did the normal path that a pastor would take. Went to a Christian university, later got a master's and a doctorate, and was pastoring churches for 30 years, including one that I planted in Houston. And after 30 years of pastoring, that took me to the year of 2014. Uh, I had another issue going in my life, which stemmed from some abuse and trauma, some isolation from my childhood that I never dealt with, which led to a sexual addiction. And so I was literally living a double life. And it wasn't until 2013 that I finally got into recovery. And when I did, and my wife made a discovery and we went through recovery together and did full disclosure and and really went all in with recovery, it changed everything for us. About a year later, my past was discovered. And so I resigned from my church thinking that um, everything in ministry was over for me. Uh, to my shock, when we moved to Florida to be near our son, God had another chapter for me. And it wasn't long after we moved to Florida in 2014 that God began to speak to me to say, let your problem become your platform. We know that 64% of men and evangelical churches are looking at pornography at least once a month. We know that 37% of pastors are hooked on porn viewing pornography. And so God was leading me to let my problem become my platform. So I went back to school, got another master's degree in addiction recovery, and we launched the ministry at the end of 2017 to help men who struggle with sexual addictions. My wife works with the spouses. She has written a, a book and takes women through a 12 week course uh, from women that have been traumatized by their husband's uh, addiction. And so that's how we started the ministry, just very small. And it's been growing over these last three plus years. And we're just having the time of our life. Our marriage is better than ever and ministry is more fun than ever. Great. I'm glad to hear that. You know, and that's, that's something that uh, this area that we're discussing today is something that kind of is uh, uh, put behind the doors, if you want to say, or put up on the bookshelf because nobody really wants to talk about it in the churches because uh, it is kind of a, a taboo type subject in a lot of, in a lot of ways. Uh, people are embarrassed to talk about it or they're scared to talk about it because they don't know how people will respond. But, you know, I remember reading years ago, um, the Chuck Swindoll uh, uh, made the comment that uh, pornography is the number one sin in our churches today or in our pews, I think is the way he responded to that. And, um, and if I'm not mistaken, I think when you were at the conference this last March, your your breakout session topic was called Porn in the Pew. Well, part of yes. the title part of it was Porn in the Pew. Can you share a little bit about, um, about that aspect, how people in the pew respond and, and deal with uh, uh, the subject when somebody, when somebody says something about, I've got a porn addiction? Um, what happens really? Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, it was based on the first book I wrote on the subject, Porn in the Pew, and did a lot of research on that. And the problem is that uh, men in church feel like they don't have anywhere to go. And so we isolate because it's a it's a secrecy that we can't share there. We can talk about just about anything else. The idea from the book of James to confess your faults one to another in order that you might be healed is foreign to most churches. It's not a safe place for us. And so that perpetuates the problem. A study done a few years ago showed that only 7% of pastors say that they have anything to offer through their church for anyone who struggles with this. And so what happens is guys come into the church and they have the same temptation, same problem, same trauma everybody else has. And it's not just a spiritual issue, it's deeper than that. 
And until they get down to the root of what the problem is, spiritual masking is the term we use where they will just quote some Bible verses, say a prayer and think they're going to be okay. But the church is not equipped to really deal with it. And so it gets deeper and deeper until they go find professional help. And that's where we kind of step in because of my history as a pastor in, in the church, partnerships with churches, that we can be that person, that ministry, where the pastor feels safe coming to us with those people that don't know where else to go. Why, why do you think, why is it that churches uh, are not prepared to with those kinds of discussions? Well, I remember when I went to pastor a church back in uh, 2001, 2001, they asked me what the first thing was I wanted to do. And I said, bring the church into the 20th century. And they said, you mean the 21st century? And I said, let's try one century at a time. <laughs> well, the fact is that most churches are not um, in their methodology and their strategy and their outreach their evangelism efforts. We're about 15, 20 years behind the rest of the world. And so traditional churches, especially have just not dealt with this subject. We've, treated it as a sin, which it is, but not as an addiction, which it also is. And so the church is living in the past. They don't understand it and they're afraid of it. And it's just scary. And for many of them, a porn addiction is the same thing as being a sex offender. Of course it's not. And so they're scared. They don't have, don't know how to handle it. And so they just leave it alone and hope someone else will come along. Yeah. That's, I, I, yeah. And I, I could kind of understand that because I know, uh, I know it's just something that you really don't want to talk about. Even when we do our conferences, we try to we try to um, not cover it up, so to speak. But we don't want to say, "Hey, if you got a porn addiction, go go see Mark," you know, because guys guys are, are really you know step back and they don't want people to know they have that problem, and because they don't know how people are going to respond to them. Yeah, the conferences that I've spoken at around the country, whenever there's a breakout session, I'm doing something on sex addiction. It's always interesting because when the when my room fills up and I ask guys where they're from, more than any other breakout session, we find guys that come to my group that are from someplace far away. And many times they came to the conference by themselves, usually not with the group. Because even in a men's conference where we have the freedom to discuss these things, still uh, there's a hesitance to do that and a reluctance to do that. When I started Freedom Groups here in the last three months or so, I've got so many guys who I've met at Man Sharpens uh, or Iron Sharpens Iron Conferences and other meetings like that, that would never go to a meeting in their hometown, but they come to me because it's safe and because it's not local. Yeah, I know uh, many years ago when I got into ministering to men, uh, one of the things that uh, God made me realize is that uh, we always talk about in our churches all the work that needs to be done outside the walls of the church, you know, mission projects, and, uh, disaster reliefs, uh, whatever it came be, feeding the, feeding the hungry, helping the homelessness and all that. And all of those are good stuff. But we, we fail to realize of all the work that needs to be done within our walls of our churches. And this, of course, is, is a serious, serious situation that's within the walls of the church. And uh, many of our men who are leaders who are caught up into this, I, I, I hate to say by no fault of their own, but it just, they just, it just went, they just haven't. It just, they just got caught up into it because of our, because of our kind of our, our makeup, so to speak, I guess is the best way to say that. What, what is, is that kind of what you're seeing? It's not oh, yeah. like they went out, it's not like they went out seeking it. It's just because no. of our social media and stuff like that, the way it works now, it just happened. 
Well, our grandparents and even our fathers, they had to go looking for it. Yeah. And it had to be very intentional, spend money, go to a bookstore someplace or order something. And, and it, it wasn't something they could just run out and do. It wasn't accessible. And now we have this. Yep. And so internet pornography is anonymous. No one knows you're doing it. It's accessible because you can do it right here. And it's also um, anonymous uh, to the degree that you can keep doing it without people knowing about it. We always get caught eventually, but um, we always think that and it's also affordable. It, you can get in trouble without even spending money. What I tell guys sometimes that have a cell phone is that if you're an alcoholic, you would never walk around with a bottle of vodka in your pocket. And yet you're walking around with one of these things in your pocket. Now, I'm not saying you, you need to quit doing that. You need to understand how explosive and dangerous that is because it's right there. And we see so many guys that will have relapse simply because their phone is by their bed in the middle of the night and they just wake up, they reach over, there it is, and they're in trouble. Yeah. And speaking of relapse, you know, we've been into it dealing with this COVID pandemic now for uh, almost a year or right out of a year in the United States is coming, is pulling up close to a year because we really didn't start, uh, uh, churches didn't start, stop, not stop gathering. I don't want to say shut down because we really didn't shut down. We just stopped gathering until uh, March and so forth. Uh, in fact, it started happening right after we did our conference back in March. And, uh, and one of the things uh, statistically, and you could speak to this a little bit too, uh, if you would please, uh, statistically, we've seen a lot of men who had probably, let's say, beat their addiction, but have fallen back into their old habits. I think I've read somewhere here recently, like 18% and maybe higher than that, that has fallen back into their old old uh, habits as uh, we've seen, they've seen pornography um, uh, sites increase in, in, in visits. Yeah. yeah, I've seen three studies on this. I've seen the number 18%, I've seen 32, and I've seen 45. And guys that I talk to that are in this sort of work all think that every one of those numbers is low. We know that porn use is always underreported. You know, when someone calls and says, are you looking at pornography? There's not anyone that is not looking at it that's going to answer, yes, I am. But obviously, a lot of people are, are going to say, no, I'm not. And then the definition of relapse. Uh, men will rarely admit to relapse, even though they've had a relapse. And so we know it's a huge problem. With our ministry, I take guys through my 90-day recovery guide. And I've been doing this for three years. And after 90 days of going through the workbook and doing the weekly lessons with me and the daily exercises, We've had a 90% success rate, meaning that at the end of the 90 days from then until now, which in some cases is three years, not a single view of porn or masturbation. And that's based on them doing follow-up disclosures, polygraphs. But here in the last nine or 10 months, that is just blowing up. There are so many guys that uh, we felt so good about, dozens of men who had found really good recovery and not acted out for a year, two years, maybe even five years that are having relapse because the pressures are so great because the temptations are so great because it's so accessible uh isolation is always our enemy and so men have been driven in isolation because of covid a lot of guys losing their jobs guys working from home so there's no socialization and the result of that is that guys get inside their head and that leads to fantasy and euphoric recall and eventually slip in a full relapse um, just last week, I had a friend on one day short of his one-year sobriety date, lost his sobriety. Uh, this morning, I got a call 
from a guy who just lost long-term sobriety as well. So you're right. There's, there's, it's just a hard time right now for a lot of guys. And the answer is to stay connected. Absolutely need to stay connected. And not having conferences like yours is really hurting men uh, because they're not staying as connected as they need to. And by going to conferences like you put on and you organize, they get guys connected that otherwise wouldn't even know each other. Mm-hmm. Mm, we good, yeah, and appreciate you saying that because it's one of our it's one of our desires in the conferences is to connect men with each other, connect men with ministries that uh, they didn't know about. Uh, when I first started in men's ministry, uh, as I said, and this was uh, over a decade ago, I had no clue uh, of ministries like yourselves and others that were out there that we could reach in and tap into to help us to reach our men and our uh, and minister to our men in our local churches, and uh, and that's. The whole reason we do what we do now is to help pastors and men's ministry leaders recognize the resources. Even a lot of our pastors don't even realize that you're out there to help them out. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's what is so cool about what you do is just the connecting men together. And some of my freedom groups, I've got guys that I met at your conference, and some of them did not even meet each other there. They met each other through my group. But commonality, the common thread was... Uh, Mike Sandlin is what you do. And so, man, I commend you for that and can't wait till things settle down where things can get back to normal for you because doing things online just isn't the same. Men need men. Men need that, men need that connection, whether it's to fight pornography or keep their head above water in any area of life. Yeah, one of the verses that really means a lot to me and really spoke out to me when I first got into the ministry was uh, uh, comes out of Ecclesiastes chapter four, verses nine and ten, where it says two are better than one because they bring a greater return on their labor. For if one falls down, which is what you're just talking about, yeah. if one falls down, there's another there to lift him up. And woe to the man who doesn't have somebody to lift him up. And uh, and, and that's so important for each other, for us to have somebody that's kind of like a got your back, so to speak, that's there for you, that you can pick up the phone day or night, no matter what's going on, and you can call them and say, hey, I need help. I'm having a strong temptation, and 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 I, I need some constant prayer. And and you can't get right. that, really, through video. I mean, it's, right. it's a good thing, but it's better when you, if you can do it face-to-face. Um, yeah, I'll tell guys all the time, the opposite of addiction is not recovery, it's community. Because if you don't have community, you, you won't be sober. And I don't just mean in terms of alcohol and sex and those kinds of addictions, but you just won't live a sober life. Uh, we were not created to be alone. Uh, the word tells us from the very beginning, it's not good that man be alone. And so if we don't have that connection with other guys, that accountability, um, I always talk to guys, and it's in my recovery material, that we need to have several groups in our lives. We need the number one is Jesus had a relationship with the Father. We need the three, Peter, James, and John. We need that inner circle that holds us accountable. We need the 12, the 12 disciples. That's our small group. And then we need the 120, the local church. And then beyond that, the 5,000, the community. And if we ever break down with any of those numbers, then we're going to hurt. And and it's it's going to be detrimental to our spiritual growth. And so community, whether we're fighting this battle or any other battle, is absolutely huge. Yeah. Um, two books I recently read. One of them was one that you kind of you, know, you, you kind of turned me on to uh, last week and during our, one of our conversations. You said that David Morrow was just coming out one called Drowning Your Screen Time. I actually got that book and read it in two days. 
and um, and because uh, it, it just captivated me. And it's just so amazing. You you raised, put up your cell phone and, and mentioned it. And I was going to say something about it too. That's one of the things I tell men a lot of times is uh, we we need to disciple our kids and 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 first one of the first things we do is is give them a a a direct link to pornography by giving them this this phone here. And of course, David Morrow talked about that in his book, Drowning in Springtime and so forth. And then another book I just recently read called Digital Cocaine is mm -hmm. that we have gotten so entranced in our screens uh, that uh, it, it's just rewiring our minds and so forth. And that's kind of what happens a lot of times, I think, with when you get involved in, into an addiction area. I mean, it works the same way with the dopamine uh, chemicals that, that releases in your brain and, and you just want that rush. You want to keep going in that direction, and and uh, and, and we need that, those guys to help us to to work through that. Does uh, your, your guys are beginning to understand that that kind of stuff? The ones that you're working with? Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, David Merle and I went to high school together, small world, and yeah. uh, had not seen each other for years until we got reconnected about ten years ago. But yeah, in the younger generation, guys that are 15 to 25, especially, it has been very surprising to me. I wasn't prepared for this, that when we move them through the steps of recovery and the things that they have to do to find recovery, and there are three things that are very critical to recovery for anyone that suffers with addiction. They have to be desperate, they have to be surrendered to God, and they have to be in community. So when I take a guy, we walk him through that process, and when he works through the steps of recovery, and he starts to find victory in recovery over porn or sex addiction. What I'm finding in those younger guys is that the sex addiction, the pornography was a secondary addiction. The vast majority of sex addicts are dual addicts, 60% suffer with some other addiction. Now, for our generation, we think of that as being alcohol or substance abuse, but for the younger generation, it's digital, it's this. And so what happens is we deal, we're really dealing with the, the just the, the crust of the problem because it's their addiction to their phone, their device that's really getting them in trouble. And we've got to dig deeper than that. Um, what I always tell guys that are hooked on porn is that pornography is really not a bad problem. And we've been treating it as a bad problem to the degree we've treated it at all for the last generation. And what we have to understand is that it is not a bad problem as much as it's a bad solution. We're going to porn because to fill that need in our life, that, that emptiness, that void that is there. Billy Graham famously said, there's a God-shaped emptiness in every man that only God can fill. And so we're trying to fill that with other things. And we think porn is it. And then we move guys away from porn. The only thing that's more available, more accessible, more affordable than porn is this. And so for that younger guy, you're absolutely right. That becomes a huge issue for them. Yeah. We've talked about your, uh, your 90 day program. I, I, I'm sure if you can share a little bit about what that's all about, and I'm sure at the end of 90 days, it's not saying you're cured, it's over with, but uh, share a little bit about that and, and how sure. that process may work and, and so forth. Well, you nailed it. Um, yeah, so the 90 days is the result of a lot of study, a lot of experience, uh, a lot of research. And so the way the 90 day program works, and it's 90 days because we know that scientifically, biologically, it takes about 90 days to rewire the pathways of the brain to where uh, recovery becomes second nature rather than porn being second nature. Uh, 
And so during the 90 days, uh, they read a daily devotion and they do a daily exercise. It's based on 13 recovery themes that they work through one week at a time. And at the end of each week, we get on the phone together, unless they're here locally, most of them are in other places. I've taken guys from, I think, seven or eight countries and 17 or 20 states through this. And so once a week, we do a one hour conversation and we go through the exercise, the work they've done that week. In addition to that, I write a daily devotional called the Recovery Minute, which I would love our listeners to subscribe to. All you have to go do is go to our website at thereistillhope.org. And so the guys in 90 days, they read that. And I'm also accessible every day. They check in every single day to let me know how they're doing, whether they're sober or not. Uh, thank you for putting that up. Appreciate that. Love to have guys sign up for the devotional. But then at the end of the 90 days, you're absolutely right. Um, there are a few programs out there, not many, that do the kind of work we do. But what we've discovered is there's really no one that is dealing with the guy who has found sobriety, but it's like, where do I go now? How do I maintain this? And so my most recent project is a 400 page workbook called the Life Recovery Plan. And this is for the guy that has completed the 90 days, 400 pages, it takes a year to go through this. And what this entails is 52 weekly topics that we discuss as they work through how to maintain their sobriety. The subtitle for the book it is a guide to keep your recovery on track because it's not enough to become sexually sober unless you stay sexually sober. And so it shows them how to do that. There's a daily reading for 365 days, a weekly exercise, and they get on the phone with me. We go over that exercise at the end of each week. And as a part of that recovery plan for one year, I also have started some groups. We call them freedom groups. Uh, they're only $10 a week for guys to participate. I've got six groups going now, have over 60 guys involved. Most of them are done by Zoom. We go through the workbook together, have a group just for pastors, have a group just for doctors, and then four other groups for anybody that wants to join us. And they're scattered at different times during the week, so we have a time for everybody. So once they complete 90 days, if they don't do the 90 days, they can still be in the group. Most of the guys in the group have not been in my 90-day plan. But it's the groups are really good because there's accessibility to each other. Guys get to know each other. They go through the material. We go through these 52 topics each week that are very applicable uh, to daily recovery. So that's kind of the, 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 the program of the 90 days and the life recovery plan in a nutshell. Um, these these groups that you're talking about, these um, what, what was I, I'm sorry, I can't remember the, what you what you called them. What, freedom called groups. Freedom, 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 freedom groups. Freedom. Yep. Yeah, freedom groups. Um, is there a limit on how many people can be a member uh, in that group? Can be in that group? Yeah, about ten or twelve, and we have one or two that are a little bit above that right now. So we're going to be starting a new group soon. Um, but most of them will average about eight guys each week, maybe ten, and um, don't want it to get much bigger than that. So there can be plenty of time for guys to share. Uh, we do a teaching time every week on that topic. And the guys check in, we discuss the exercise. There's a written exercise they all do each week that we go through. And it's it's really been a lot of fun. Really enjoy that a lot. For guys that can't afford the $10 a week, we let them in anyway, that's all right. right. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, now, do you meet with any of them one-on-one? One-on-one meetings? Ab yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we do that all the time. And for most of them that wanna do one-on-one, -on -one, they're in the 90-day plan. 
There are several other guys. We just meet as often as they need to, you know, once a week, once a month, whatever it is that they need, because they'll have specialized needs and, or they may have been in recovery, but they're really having a setback in one area. And so we can just hone in on that and really focus on that. Um, and I love doing that. It's, it's a lot of fun to give specialized treatment for guys that are really struggling just in one area. And the, the freedom groups, um, as I say, they meet at different nights, mornings, afternoons throughout the week. And anyone that's interested in that can contact me at uh, our website or email me, mark at therestillhope.org, or then go to our website. And it talks about the freedom groups, and the life recovery plan, the 90-day plan, also my wife's plan uh, for the spouses. She's about to launch another group in February uh, for women. That uh, So any of our guys that are out there, if your wives are uh, needing help because of your struggles, that's what that's for. And she is a trauma specialist, works only with women whose husbands are sex addicts and does a wonderful job. Now, is this something, um, a, say, if a local church wanted to, men's leader or a pastor, uh, he uh, wanted to start a group like this in his church? Is this something that could be started in his church with your guidance or, or uh, uh, how would that work? Yeah, they sure can. We've had a couple who have done that. Um, the best way to do that is the is the one year plan, uh, because the ninety days is very intense. It really takes professional training to walk guys through that. But the maintenance plan or the life recovery plan for one year of that workbook, um, anyone could do that. Uh, we are, and that's this book again. What we're working toward this year in twenty twenty one, our goal, because we're having so many guys come to us is that I'm going to begin to train other leaders to take guys to the 90 day plan so that it can be very specialized. I would like to spend all of my time with pastors because that's my background right. uh, or athletes. I was chaplain at Houston Rockets for five years. So I've got a real heart for athletes, but if we have someone else who uh, has a different background in mind, he could focus on people from his denomination or from his age group, people with similar life uh, background, life experiences. So we're going to try to train other guys so we can multiply the ministry. Yeah, good. Um, let's talk about uh, your latest book. I mean, I've had an opportunity to read through it and, and look at that book too, uh, uh, the Jesus uh, and, and the 12 Steps. Uh, can you share a little bit about that book? And, and, yeah. And, uh, what we yeah, I'd love to. The, the, the thing that happened that led to this was that there, there became a bit of a um, battle going on inside my head because I have a theological background and was a pastor for 30 years. And I, I love study. I love scripture. But when I got in recovery and started working the 12 steps through a 12 step program, SAA, Sex Addicts Anonymous, and later SA, Sexaholics Anonymous, mm -hmm. these are based on the 12 steps of AA, which were written in 1939. And so I worked the steps, found recovery there. It's a spiritual program, though not a Christ-centered program. And so the, the dichotomy for me was, I know that I can't get well apart from my higher power. And I know who that is. If my higher power is someone other than Jesus Christ, I need to upgrade my higher power. I need him as my higher power. That's the source of my strength. And yet I found the 12 steps working. And so the question was, which is right? Do we need scripture? Do we need the 12 steps? Do we need both? Do they intersect with one another? And so when I went back, with a fresh set of eyes, looking at the 12 steps, I discovered that in the life, not just of the Bible, but in the life of Jesus Christ, we find that every single one of those 12 steps is rooted in a 
an encounter that Jesus had with somebody. Uh, so, for example, if you look at um, step nine of making amends, we look at a guy like Zacchaeus, who upon coming to faith in Christ, and I'm going to go back and I'm going to make amends to those that I have hurt. Uh, the desperation, you look at Legion in Mark chapter five, he had to be completely desperate or uh, the paralytic in, in John chapter five or six, Jesus said, do you want to be well? Are you desperate? Well, step one of the 12 steps says that we have to be desperate. We have to recognize we have a problem and powerless to overcome it. So I discovered that each of these steps are based on spiritual principles and encounters from Christ. So in writing the book, I took each of the 12 steps and tied them to a Bible story from the life of Christ to make them come alive, to make a point to my non-believer friends that you really will not get well. You cannot stay well apart from the power of God. And we know that power in Jesus Christ. Those who founded AA came out of the Oxford movement, which was an evangelical movement that migrated to the U.S. from Europe. And they had a very strong faith in Christ. And that's the root and background of 12 steps. So in writing the book, the purpose of the project was to return that to the roots so guys would understand they don't have to choose between 12 steps and God and scripture, but they can merge them together and find power in the gospel as expressed in the 12 steps. We know all recovery is God's recovery. Mm -hmm. And so the scripture really comes alive through that for guys to understand. You don't have to choose between the Bible and some kind of a 12 step program because the 12 steps work, but they only work because they're biblical. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Um, Let's go back a little bit to the mind of a man, uh, so to speak. Um, I know a lot of times you deal with guys who uh, basically got caught uh, in their addiction. Uh, do you ever have any guys who just all of a sudden God's dealt with their heart and they say, I've got a problem here and they reach no. out? No, no. Uh, I saw a study that said one in 10,000 come into recovery without being caught on some level. I don't know where you would get a number like that. I haven't met that guy uh, because the problem is it's it is if you meet anyone who has an addiction in the sexual area, sexual brokenness, and also has another addiction, whether it's cocaine or gambling or food or whatever it is, they will tell you every single time without failure that sex is the hardest one to beat. And the reason for that is none of us were born with with a taste for alcohol. Uh, anyone who became addicted to beer, they had to get sick of it and throw up first. It's not a natural thing. Uh, but on the other hand, sex is. God created men and women for sex. And so it's it's in our DNA. And so uh, guys find it so hard to break out of this and do not or very, very rarely will break out until they hit bottom, until it costs them something. And that's the time they really get ready and desperate enough to really get help. Uh, I went into a 12 step group one time before I'd really hit bottom. I went one time, didn't go back for over a year. Uh, and that's the story we usually hear that typically it costs them something first. And then there's a cycle that happens and it just keeps going around in our head. Uh, Patrick Carnes out of the shadows. He's written a lot about the addiction cycle and Mark Laser talks about the recovery cycle. I put it in very non-academic terms when I say that what happens for guys is they think it, they plan it, they do it, they hate it, they cover it, and then they go do it again. And it all starts with thinking it because of something in our past, and then we plan it, and then we go do it, and we say, I hate this, I repent, I'll never do it again, and then we do it again. Until we hit bottom, until we get desperate, we don't get well. Is there anything we can do to uh, in, in our churches and our men's groups to help guys 
uh, that haven't been caught, but uh, but is uh, uh, partaking in the, in this uh, uh, in, in pornography. Is there anything we can do to help them to maybe uh, uh, for God to be able to prick their hearts and and say, hey, you know, I've got a problem here. I need to seek seek help before they get caught. Yeah, we can create a safe landing place. And I address that in my book, Porn in the Pew, by saying that the real key, we could say a lot of things about having a program. It could be Celebrate Recovery, but it, it addresses all kinds of things, hurts, hangups, and habits, not just addiction, and certainly not just sex addiction. But we can do all of that, create a good environment. We can create classes. We can direct people to ministries like There's Still Hope. We can do all of those things, but we're pretty much wasting our time if we don't do one other thing first. And that is to have a confessional pastor, meaning the senior pastor has got to stand up in front of the people and say, I struggle with things like other men do. Now, he may not be a sex addict. And even if he is, that's not to say he should share that publicly. But it is to say that the guy in the pew, the man in the pew has got to hear the pastor say, it's OK. It's OK to struggle. It's OK to do that. It's OK to get help. I have struggles. You have struggles. We all have something. And we need to create a safety net for you. And I want you to know I'm addressing my own issues. Pastor doesn't need to share what they are, probably shouldn't. But if the pastor is confessional and says it's okay, no one's coming after you, um, it's all right to have an issue and create that safety net, then when you offer a program, there's some place for them to go. Uh, when COVID hit, <laughs> we were starting to do a program I call Pancakes and Porn. And the way that works is to go into the church on a Saturday morning and have the pastor first share with the church, with the men, we all struggle with sexual temptation. So whatever level that temptation is for you, I'm going to go to this program Saturday morning for a couple of hours. I want you to be there too. We serve pancakes, have Mark come in to talk about pornography, the temptations and how to get well. And then whenever I speak in churches, what I always do that's been really effective is to just simply have a sign up sheet and usually we'll, we'll pass it around where everyone has it in their hand, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's a ministry retreat or even church, where they can simply sign up to receive my devotional, uh, the recovery minute. And that way they can reach out to me. I can reach out to them without them having to walk forward or talk to me off to the side. Uh, but it all starts with the pastor. If the pastor is willing to share his struggles, then the church can share theirs. Yeah. Well, let me ask you another little question. Um, it uh, just kind of kind of hit me when you were talking about something earlier, and I don't know, I don't know. It's kind of it kind of seems silly, but at the same time, I bet you probably have heard this kind of comments too. Um, you know, we hear people talking about uh, uh, drugs like marijuana, and that I and that a number of states recently, in fact, as of January first, a number of states has passed laws uh, making marijuana recreationally uh, legal. And uh, have have you had any guys who who get called or get Viewing uh, it because say I, I, this is just I, I don't have a problem. This is just a recreational thing for me. Uh, I don't know what the big deal is. And and, and have you heard those kinds of uh, excuses? And and uh, yes. how do you how do you address those? <laughs> yeah, absolutely have. And it's and it's what perpetuates that is the marijuana thing because uh, there's this idea that 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 we have that's even been legalized that. If we dabble a little bit with stuff, uh, it's okay. That's not really going to hurt us. And so that transcends over to pornography for guys. 
the reality is, and I, I read this in Jay Stringer's book, Unwanted, where he talks about unwanted sexual behaviors and what we can learn from them. And he cites a study that says that the kind of guy that you just spoke of, who dabbles in it, who says, I can do a little bit, I can have recreational pornography, is actually the hardest guy to reach. He's the hardest guy to get well because in his mind, he doesn't have a problem. But if you take the guy that binges on porn for six hours a night, as many do, you take the guy that spends, I've, I've worked with guys that have spent over $500,000 on their sexual addiction. So when they've done that, and when they have a woman in every town where they travel, and they have a series of broken relationships, and they've been arrested, uh, when you, you take that guy, that's a guy I can help, because he, he absolutely knows he is out of control, has a huge problem. The recreational user, however, becomes addicted, but the worst thing is that he's naive to the addiction. And he justifies it by saying, hey, I know someone else is doing this every single night. And it, it's sort of like someone who goes out and only kills people occasionally. He's still a murderer. He's still dangerous. And he's even more dangerous because we don't really know where he is or how to find him. And so the recreational user is the guy that really struggles to get well because he's not come to the full depth of the addiction. And until it costs him something, he's probably not going to get well. Mm. Yeah, he's pro he probably is the most dangerous one out there for for himself and for his family yeah. because, because of that situation, and uh, and I I, I, I can kind of get that really, you know, you know, and, you know, I was a good boy. I didn't when I grew up. I didn't do drugs. I didn't do alcohol. I didn't do any of that kind of stuff. But you know, uh, the the funny thing about it is, no matter how much how much I did do that, when you know, every 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 boy at some point especially with the technology today is going to be um, exposed to pornography and the training that we do to our young boys these days about how to deal with that uh, is going to make a big difference in how they respond when they are exposed. Uh, I mean, I'm hearing statistics now of young children as, as young as eight and 10 years old being exposed to pornography. So what can dads, what can dads do? Uh, to help their young boys uh, to maybe prevent uh, getting getting caught up at that in a young age. Well, first, uh, I'll confirm what you just said. Uh, the the latest hard evidence was age 11 was the average year uh, age for guys to be exposed. And now Dr. Adrian Hickman out of Searcy, Arkansas, who's one of the great experts in this field, his research says it's eight and that 99 percent of everyone by the age of 20 is viewed pornography. Um, Again, it's probably higher than even that. What the dad can do, and I've worked with a lot of father-son uh, combinations with 90-day recovery and also my groups. I don't let a father-son in the same group. Uh, they want to be, but I don't let them because uh, the son doesn't feel like he can be completely open if he's in a group with his dad. But I've worked with a lot of dads and their sons who have, have struggled with this. And the, the best thing the dad can do if his son is struggling is to let his son know that he has had his own issues because everybody's had issues. And to be a safe person for the son to talk to, it's a fine balancing act because we see we see it go both ways. We see dads who uh, they, they play the role of the Pope where they say to the son, son, I don't have these issues. You need to go get help. Here's where you can get help. And that's not good because the son hears that and they feel diminished, they feel shame because they feel like, well, dad's got it all together. I don't. There's something wrong with me. And the other extreme is where the dad says too much. And I've seen that a lot where the dad just 
unloads on the son and, and he thinks he's doing the son a favor by confessing all of his stuff. And he just kind of throws up all over his son with everything that he's done. And that's not good because now he's pulled the foundation of the family out from under the son. But what dads do need to do is say, son, I just want to sit down with you. You're 11 years old now. I want, and you got to do it on the front end. Don't wait till they're already in trouble. Right. And say, um, right. we all are going to face this temptation. And I want you to know I'm a safe place for you to come. And if you have issues, you can talk to me. And just like anything else, if you really need serious help, we're going to get you professional help without judgment. I'd want you to know it's safe. Yeah, that's good. That's good words of advice there. But uh, I know a lot of dads don't know how to talk to their their their, their kids about stuff like that. And and uh, and I know we've been talking about men, but uh, I know that uh, women are having this issue too. You you kind of alluded to that with with the ministry of your wife, not only ministering to those who. Uh, whose husbands have have had this problem, but also to wives who've gotten caught of it, and th and that's a disturbing uh, statistic too. Is the number of women that that this is growing also? And yeah, women under thirty. If you take everyone that's a sex addict, and the population under 40 percent of those are women, sixty percent are men. When you get over the age of forty or fifty, it's it's uh, the self-reporting numbers are nine, ten, something like that. But the hard numbers are 40 percent. And that's according to uh, Marnie Faree uh, with Bethesda Workshops. And um, her ministry to women and men has found that 40 percent of women, 29 and under, or 40 percent of sex addicts, 29 and under, are women. And that's a very hard thing to deal with because women need to work with women. But most of the people that are trained in this kind of work are, um, are men. So they, of course, are not going to work with women. They shouldn't. Obviously, they should Mm -hmm. Yeah. The exception of that would be a CSAT. So we always send our clients to a certified sex addiction therapist. And we know several women that do this. And so, you know, they're, they're a good landing spot for women that struggle with this. Good. Well, Mark, I appreciate this. Uh, tell, tell our viewers, if you would, uh, you know, listeners, how, how they can get up with you and for more information and uh, what you will provide them when they do. Sure. Love to. Again, our website, there's stillhope.org. It's right there on the screen. And my email, just put a mark at the beginning of it, M-A-R-K, mark at there's stillhope.org. Uh, my cell phone, I'll say it twice. Love for guys to call or text me. It's 941-526-4700. That's 941-526-4700. And if you're struggling, guys, I want you to reach out to me. We'll just have an informal phone conversation and see where that goes. Be happy to tell you about our 90-day plan, the life recovery plan, the resources that my wife offers. Also, we're about to finish a workbook for couples. And so in about three months, we're going to launch several groups online for couples where the husband is struggling with sex addiction and his wife uh, that's going through the trauma of that. We're going to work with couples online uh, through their recovery together through a one-year process. So if anyone has questions for that, or if you'd like to sign up for my free daily uh, devotional, it goes out to six or 700 people every day, 250 of whom are women, by the way. Uh, just get in touch with me, mark at thereisstillhope.org, and we'd love to sign you up. Any questions you have, we are here. We love talking to new guys. Uh, so please don't hesitate to reach out to us. We would love to talk to you. Yeah, and I would strongly encourage uh, anybody out there with questions in the area of pornography addiction or um uh, to do that correctly and if you cannot remember his we'll keep this we'll keep this uh uh 
webpage up here for a little bit. Uh, the there's still hope.org. But if you uh, can't for any reason after we get off the air and you decide, you can reach us, reach out to us at kpermen.net and we will put you in touch with Mark. We, we have no problems with that. Uh, talk with Mark regularly these days, it seems like. And so it's, it's, it's a great honor to, uh, to have you on the, uh, on the program today, Mark, and I appreciate it. And, uh, and Mark, I, I do uh, uh, thank you for all the work that you're doing. It was great to have you on today. And, uh, and you have provided a lot of information, I believe, for us to, uh, to think through and to, uh, uh, to digest, so to speak. And I, I just appreciate you taking the, an hour of your time to be able to, to spend with us and help us to understand what's going on in, in our pews today uh, that a lot of people probably just don't really realize what's happening. Well, Mike, I appreciate the opportunity and I want to tell you how much I appreciate your friendship and especially your leadership in bringing men and men's ministry together. That collaboration that you have provided for us has been amazing. Uh, you're one of the great men's leaders in America today, and I appreciate you working with us and helping us raise our ministries to the next level. Well, I appreciate those kind words, uh, Mark. I, uh, sometimes I don't feel that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, you should. <laughs> and, and, uh, but I, I do appreciate that, those kinds of words and so forth. So if you want to know more about Mark, uh, as we say, go to there, there'srstillhope.org, and uh, you'll, you'll be able to connect with them there, or you can contact us through uh, – at kfearmen.net, uh, uh, and we will be glad to provide uh, information to you on how to get it up. Um, sorry we didn't get to any of the questions today that may have been there, but uh, you you can email Mark or you can email myself uh, through our website, so we'll be glad to uh, speak to us. And you can email me at kfearmen.gmail.com if you got any questions about today's uh, based comments. Well, once again, go to Mark's website at therestillhope.org. So if you guess you missed anything today, or would like to review something that we had talked about, uh, as I said, uh, this day's program will be uh, all available on the kfearmen.net website in a matter of a day or so. And you can reach out and you can listen to it or, or watch it, whichever way you want to do that, at kfearmen.net slash vodcast to, to, to view the, the program. And if you enjoyed the program, uh, I would like for you to give consideration uh, for us to be able to continue this work to ministering to men and uh, by donating to Cape Fear Men by either going to the website, kfearmen.net, and clicking on the donate button or uh, texting to Cape, text Cape to 50155. Cape uh, Men is a 503, uh, 501c3 organization, and all donations are tax deductible. And once again, I thank you for uh, in advance for your donations. If you uh, if you have any other questions, drop us an email, and we will be glad to to respond to you at our earliest convention. And once again, Mark, again, I appreciate you taking your time and being with us today, and joining us for for this interesting conversation that many people don't don't really like to talk about. Thanks, Mike. All right. So again, this is a intentional conversation. It's a program where men's ministry, where men's ministry leaders interviews leaders in men's ministry. Now, as a beloved mentor of mine used to tell me as he would finish our time together, I pray God will give you a rock to stand on. He'll give you a brook to drink from and he'd give you a tree to shade, shade by. So God bless you. And we'll see you the next time on Intentional Conversations. Mark, stay with me.